What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Welcome to another Wednesday afternoon. This is the remake of The Magnificent Seven, directed by the genius filmmaker Antoine Fuqua. Hang out with us, guys. We're going to break down the whole thing for you. We have a ton of fun games to play today. We'll see you in just a second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Boom! What's up, everybody? Oh! oh it's the back. remix! We're back! It's training day! We're doing it again! <laughs> the bait and switch, guys. We've decided to abandon the Magnificent Seven and cover training day again. Once again. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. This is the office. Um... I didn't even realize, like, until the both of them were on screen together, I was like, oh, yeah. Right. Training day. You're like, there's a reason we did training day. I, I, just, I don't know what it was. I'm slow. <laughs> Guys, welcome <laughs> to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie-related. I'm your host, Ben Bateman, joined today by my excellently dressed co-host, Mr. Andrew Guy. 95 cents, full panties. <laughs> hey, nah, yeah, nah, I'm huh? here. You know what? I uh, I had a very interesting morning. Okay. And I'm going to talk about it because you know what? I need a platform to discuss my feelings. Where can the people find you if they want to chime oh, yeah. in? You guys can find me at <laughs> Andrew Guy on Twitter or on Instagram. And I'm also got, I've got the live chat going today. So you guys gonna... can find me at Ben Bateman Media also and the podcast, of course, at AMA Podcast. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Drew. The floor is yours. The floor is mine. Okay, so this actually sparked a new segment for the show that we're going to talk about a little bit later that I'm going to talk about. I literally just dropped this bomb on Ben. You haven't uh, had a discussion about this at all. Not at all. If he doesn't want to do it, it's too bad. <laughs> we're going to do it today. Uh, I lost my keys in the gym, and uh, the people at the front desk, not only were they incredibly unhelpful, they were rude, and they refused to use the intercom to call to ask if anyone had found a set of lost keys. No, 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 this is unacceptable. This is unacceptable. <laughs> so I started, I was, you know, I was pretty upset, but I was like, okay, cool. So they're like, you can talk to our manager when she gets back. She comes back 20 minutes later. Uh, long story short, immediately goes to the intercom, calls, and the trainer from upstairs yells down, oh yeah, I've got him up here. I was just waiting until I was done with my session to bring him down. 30 minutes. That's why we started late today, so I apologize. And that sparked a new segment on the show called AM Angry. Hashtag AM angry. And this isn't just because I was having a rough day. I think this is a good <laughs> idea because there's moments in movies where you're watching it, even movies that you love. Maybe not love, movies that you really like. Yeah. And, and you see something that happens in it. And it's not something that you're like actually angry about. I just like to play on words with our title. AM angry. AM angry. It's clever. It's clever. It's very clever. Thank you. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say something. Uh... <laughs> But it's going to be something that happens in a movie where you kind of watch and you're like, oh, God damn it, man. Really? Come on. Either it could be something cliche or something right. you saw coming or a twist that you think was completely unnecessary or a character. I mean, sometimes you and I have this discussion about Interstellar yeah, and how even though Matt Damon's part in the film feels necessary because the, the movie would stagnate for too long, I think. Right. It's kind of one of those things like, why does he have to be a bad guy? Why does he have to be an asshole? Like, it's n not that you were angry, but maybe that might be your... Hashtag am angry if like, we were to do Matt Interstellar. What is Damon doing in this movie? He exactly. wasn't even billed. Why him? Yeah, yeah, Could right. be anyone. So uh, that's a segment that I want to talk about later on the show. And let's get back to the normal show. Thank you for venting. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for letting me have my moment. Thank Everybody. You. I had something I wanted to add. <laughs> I should have done the whole thing in Vincent D'Onofrio's voice. <laughs> so guys, uh, Action Movie Anatomy is a show that we talk about action movies. This is episode seventy. Three, maybe, something like that. I feel like we're higher than that, but yeah, it's going to be right around there. We're into the mid-70s now. Um, this is The Magnificent Seven, the yeah. uh, the remake of... Well, it's actually, it's like a third edition remake. So yes. there's The Magnificent Seven in 1960, which is a remake of the 1954 movie, The Seven Samurai, by Akira mm -hmm. Kurosawa. Yes. Now, they waited 56 years to make another remake of the same movie, and they chose visionary director visionary. Antoine Fuqua. <laughs> And a stellar cast. Now, it brings an interesting point to question, which is, how classic of a movie really is Magnificent Seven? I know that Seven Samurai is considered to be an, an all-time classic. Yes. But the Magnificent Seven, Yul Brenner, Charles Bronson, mm -hmm. like, it. I don't know how much of a classic that movie is considered more than it's like... It's so like you a, got a James... No, is it James Dean or Steve Paul? McQueen. Steve McQueen, yeah. excuse me. Um, and it's, you know, it's always referenced as like a fun sort of adventure movie. But we're so far removed from that movie that I think a younger generation that knows it as like a famous movie they would remake thinks of it probably as more classic than it really is. Now, we're not here to talk about the original film, 
But it does beg the question when you make a popcorn flick like this with this kind of a cast and this kind of a director, is it doing the original film a disservice by taking it in that direction? Or is this movie more similar to the original than people realize? Was the original just kind of a trashy action movie? That's an interesting point. So Seven Samurai, I'll admit I haven't seen it. Right. Uh, Magnificent Seven, I think I've seen maybe once. Maybe. I saw both of them in middle school. Okay. And I saw them close to each other. Yeah, and it was, you know, like, a, yeah, so I'm saying maybe it could have been 15, 20 years ago. I think that this is actually, it does a service to the films in the sense that, you're right, people our age had no idea that, um, that you hear Magnificent Seven, it's kind of something that rings in your head like, oh, I should know something. That sounds like something right. I know about. But no one of the younger generation, and a lot of people our generation, didn't even watch the movie. So even if this movie is good or bad, which we were going to discuss on this show, um, I think that it's going to get people to go back and watch. I want to go watch the original more now than I ever did before. Certainly true. Um, so, guys, the movies that we cover on this show usually hit four basic rules. Aside from being made after 1981, rule number one is the hero always plays their own rules. If you put Denzel in a movie, that's just going to be taken care of. No question. Yes. Denzel would never, ever, ever sign on to play a role in a movie that he didn't play by his own rules. No, never. No. Like in his fucking contract. <laughs> yeah, like Crimson Tide is the only thing where in the beginning you kind of see that he's like he's like in a subordinate position, which you never even see that. Yeah, but he's 100% going to play by his own and then rules. He 100%, yeah, yeah, exactly. So always Denzel plays by his own rules. Number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room. Um, they make the villain in this movie, Peter Skarsgård, kind of a bitch. He just like doesn't really... He, he's one of these cardboard villains where he's not particularly smart. He's just evil. Yeah, he's just pure evil. Um, um, which I think is actually a little bit of a fail on the movie's part. I do too. I really do too, especially because they have this rich backstory. Spoiler alert, by the way. This whole thing is a spoiler alert. I feel like we've already ruined so much. Um, yeah, but I mean, it, you guys it, don't it's watch a review the episode show. unless exactly. you haven't seen the yeah. Magnificent Seven. Uh, point, my point behind this is that like there is such a rich, evil backstory behind why Chisholm is after him the whole movie. Right. That they try to kind of like hide... You know, they, yeah, they don't want is. to allude to it. That I think that's the misstep right there. Like you're saying, they make him just like this this evil, just filler. The story that they have with like Denzel being hung and the and the, his mother being raped yeah. and his sisters being murdered. Tell us about that. Show us that to make me really hate him. Because by the time you find out about it, it's just like it's the end. Yeah, it's like who cares? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so. Uh, so anyway, I would say that he is definitely the smartest guy in the room, but is is Bo the smartest guy in the room? I mean, I guess there isn't another character that is. I guess he has to be because if you're going to if A is B then B is C, then A is C. So, he has enough money to live in this mansion in Sacramento and he can hire hundreds of men. I was never told there'd be math. I never told him <laughs> I cannot do this. Uh so I guess cause and effect, he must be the smartest guy in the room because he's the richest guy. Yeah. You know. I don't know. I mean, there isn't a character. There's not another villain who's smarter. So yes, absolutely. We'll give you that they are the two smartest. Uh, three. The movie is driven by a police, military, or political figure. So he's a peace officer. So he is kind of a uh, police, duly appointed. But he's also kind of a mercenary because he's mm-hmm. taking the job for money. So it's sort of both. Yeah. Um, I would say that. Yeah, hundred percent. And the movie contains minimum one explosion. There's a bunch of dynamite. There's several. Well, I always um, wanted to blow something up. And an explosion of D'Onofrio. And an explosion. <laughs> <laughs> I should have told. Dude. Unbelievable. I, <laughs> like, the and through and through, guys, if you're if you're just like, I'm going to watch these guys do this episode to see if I want to see this movie or not. Yeah. You just see it for D'Onofrio. you got to see this movie. on just, just, like, just for that reason. He's got a couple of moments in this film that are just brilliant. Oh, and... Um, we have Marissa Serafini in the booth. She's engineering the show today. Marissa, how are you doing? Marissa. What's up, guys? So you, you're going to go see this movie, like, tonight or tomorrow, is what you said, right? Yep. So yep. we're f- officially, we're ruining the movie for you right now. You know what? That's okay. So We've done this good. for Marissa <laughs> a few times, and yeah. Marissa, we just love you. Thank you so much. I yeah. love you guys. Thanks for doing uh, Where can the people find you, Marissa? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Serafini TV, and I'm excited to see the Nafio, you know, explode. Yeah. Have, have you seen uh, Salt and Sea? I have not. Okay, yeah. so neither has Ben, and I, up until just like a, a couple months ago, hadn't seen it either, and our friends have been raving about this movie. They think it should yeah. be on the show, and it, it probably will be eventually. Is it action enough? <clears throat> uh, actually, that's the problem. I think it's mainly drama. Yeah. Uh, but he's got this crazy voice. He doesn't in, in it, too. But it's it's more of because his nose, he used to do so much, I think it's cocaine, yeah. that his nose, they had to cut it off. So it's like a, co- there's a reason in why. In the movie. Yeah. Got it, got it. Whereas in this film... <laughs> 
He's it's just, just a wild choice. He's just a bear of a man. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that bear was wearing people clothes. Yeah. Um, so anyway, guys, that uh, that is what we do on the show here. We talk about action movies, and uh, this is the Magnificent Seven. So I think, without further ado, we will queue up the trailer, uh, and we will. Uh, it's, it's a pretty entertaining trailer. Yeah, it's a very like modern day trailer. It's like kind of rock and roll cowboys, modern day western. Sam Chisholm. They all have different names in the original film. Man carries right. a gun, he tends to use it. Dan, you dead? Pity. I had just ordered a drink from that man. Took a job, looking for some men to join me. Is it difficult? Impossible. How many you got so far? You and me. <laughs> Who's she? We work for her. Good lord. That's right. Did you love her? Or did you, how did you feel about her? She was fine. I thought she was attractive. Uh, did a fine job. take everything we have. You know? So you seek revenge. I seek righteousness. But I'll take revenge. Yeah. More in the future to help us fight. What a bunch of misfits we are. You know how to shoot that thing? I'm good. So am I. It's got like. It's a very similar trailer to Hateful Eight in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It feels almost identical. Can we do Hateful Eight on this show? Probably. I never watched it. I barely remember it. The warrior. The Indian warrior. We got a seven. He's got an army. And they'll be murdered by the world's greatest lover. That's my favorite line. That's a great line. That's a great line. Fighting someone else's fight. These people deserve their lives back. Just make sure we're fighting the battle in front of us, not the battle behind. Every man's got the right to choose where he dies. We have nowhere else to go, so... I liked everyone in the cast. Yeah, I thought everybody was solid. Yeah. I thought Hawk felt a little, like, tired. Yeah. Yeah, he's also, like... They, like, write his character to be that way a little bit. I get that. I get that. I'm always yeah. to blow something lazy, maybe. Yeah, he just felt like kind of decrepit and old in the way that some of the other guys didn't. He kind of never really had any badass moments, which is hard. Yeah, the only badass moment they, that he had is all based off of assumption. Yeah. When they take over that mining town, and it's like shot, 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 yeah. all perfect. Yeah. But you, they never say who it is. You just assume it's him. Yeah, right. And I don't think it is him, because he wouldn't kill anybody until the end of the movie. Right, and right before that was when he shows them shooting the dummy, finally. Yeah, yeah. that is that is that is kind of lame. Yeah. yeah, so he's kind of the loose one. But, I mean, you don't need... Well, anyway, we'll, we will get into that. The trailer um, is very similar to the Hateful Eight trailer. Uh, audience, if you guys are out there, feel free to tweet at AMA Podcast or put up in the live chat. If you know if that's the same editor... That yeah. was remarkably similar. It's like the same trailer. Yeah. yeah. It's all the same, like the numbers, the shots. I was going to say, the, even the, the music, counting. Yeah. The counting. It's like they're like labeling each character. Um, it's a gr- that was a very good observation. Ben. Yeah, what can I say? <laughs> um, let's uh, let's move into thesis statement, guys. So this is uh, this is your thought, your bold thought on the movie. Could sort of, should be sort of like rooted in hyperbole. A strong assessment of the film. Yeah. Should not be anything loose. My favorite. This should be the greatest this, the best this. This is the reason for this. Um, and we, we, we like to have one of these in every one of our movies and we kind of defend it throughout um, I kind of alluded to mine already so I'll continue on it <clears throat> and that is Anton Foucault is the greatest director of our generation <laughs> <laughs> and that is that I think the I think that the choice to put Antoine Foucault directing this movie at this point in his career when it's clear what kind of movies he makes mm-hmm. is a direct assessment of the quality of the original film and I think downgrades the original film from being a true classic to just a period piece adventure movie from its time. And I think it actually reflects negatively on the original movie because I didn't think this was a bad movie. I yeah. enjoyed this movie. But it's about as forgettable as any movie. Yeah, and in some ways it's even more forgettable than than his good like his good movies. Yeah, because it's got such a star-studded cast and it doesn't stand out. Yeah, like I, I was thinking about this movie and like, Equalizer, I, I only saw once, but I really enjoy it. Yeah. E- even though, like, Equalizer is a smaller movie than this, but Equalizer is, like, very entertaining. It's, like, it's mm-hmm. just, it, like, does what it's supposed to do. London Has Fallen, the first time I saw it, really, like, 
as cornball as it was, London is Fun kind of stuck with me. I remembered it. I wanted to watch it again. I insisted we do it on the show. This movie, and granted, it is always difficult to watch a movie the first time and have like a really strong feeling on it. Absolutely. But I really, going into the movie, I was like, I wonder if he's going to try to make this a little bit more of a drama, have a little more depth, maybe a little more weight. But it was just action that was forgettable, mm-hmm. good good performances from a bunch of really sweet actors, and like a bunch of really forgettable scenes. Like It just kind of felt like popcorn. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, the, I think it's the biggest movie Fook was ever made, too. The budget is is pretty damn big, and uh, you know for what it is, and Fuqua. I mean, Southpaw is big in a different way. Yeah, that one was like gutting after an Oscar big. Yeah, uh, which the, we all that saw go? how that went. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah, man. I I. It's funny when you're saying all that. <clears throat> I I think I want to change what I said in the beginning because I looked at it from the point of view of someone that's never seen or doesn't remember Magnificent Seven, and. It's true, when movies get remade, and the remake isn't that good, and the original isn't, like, best picture nominee or winner, Yeah, it does kind of make a discredit to it. It's like, ah, the first one was fine, so they tried to remake it. The second one was fine, so they're going to remake it again in 20 years, you know? Yeah. And then it's just going to become a joke. So, yeah, that is kind of a bummer, and I think that... It, well, because, like, it's like Point Break gets a bad remake, but, like, it's not like the original Point Break is regarded as anything other than, like, a super like, sweet One of the greatest action 90s movies. action movies. It's like, that's like a movie that you're having a beer with a buddy, and you're like, that's, like, my favorite movie for X, Y, and Z cheesy reasons that I watch on cable. It's not like Magnificent Seven, where you're like, well, Seven Samurai is a true classic, and yeah. it was remade, and it's this classic movie. It's like, and this is what we got? Yeah, I mean, I think if in five years from now you're like, hey, dude, you want to watch Point Break? You're not going to be like, which one? <laughs> and if if you did, I'd hit you. Yeah. <laughs> and it, the same thing, five years from now, when people go, you want to watch Magnificent Seven? They'll go, well, which one? Yeah. For real. They yeah. actually will. Because it's like, there's no clear, like, oh, my God, you have to watch the original. Yeah. It's one of the great. It's like, if you're going to ask me to watch Old Boy. Yeah. And you say which one to me, I don't even want to talk to you. Yeah, because, right. Because the original is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. And, yeah, anyway, so I like that thesis statement. Well, because also, if okay, so I'll give you another Western, and this is the one that really, when I thought about it, kind of proved my point. Tombstone. No, I'm joking. True Grit. Mm-hmm. The original True Grit is regarded as one of the all-time <clears throat> classic greatest Westerns ever made. Right? Like yeah. John Wayne. Like, yep. it is It is at the top of the list. And they got the Coen brothers to remake it. Mm-hmm. That's totally different. When you put the Coen brothers, and it's got Jeff Bridges, and you're putting, like, Matt Damon, and, and like, they're... And this is, like, Jeff Bridges, like, gunning time, too. Like, right know? after, yeah. right before, right after Crazy Heart. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, <laughs> I'm talking, like... These guys have won Oscars and been nominated for Oscar after Oscar after Oscar. And they're known as two of the greatest storytellers of this generation of movie making. So when you when you remake True Grit, even though that movie missed the mark for a lot of people and True Grit was just kind of forgettable, yeah. the attempt is there. And the attempt is there by those guys because the original is such a classic. And they're paying it massive respect by bringing these people onto it. Now, I talk a lot of shit about Antoine Fuqua, right. and I will I will walk up to that guy at a party, and I will shake his hand Absolutely for what will. he's done. Because, because he makes enjoyable, entertaining movies. I love the shit out of his movies. Absolutely. But it's just different. It's like when I watch this movie, and that's why I'm saying it's not about this movie being bad. It's about this reflects Which the original movie. Which we're not movie. saying this movie is bad. Not at all. Yeah. It reflects that the original film is much more of a trashy popcorn movie than I think anybody realized. Yeah. That's what okay. I think it is. Wow. Um... <laughs> I feel bad because if Antoine Fugo were to ever watch our show, he would just think, these guys fucking hate me. No. And we don't hate you, but my (laughs) thesis is going to sound like I just don't respect you, which I do. And that is is that Antoine Fuqua is the Michael Bay of action dramas. Okay. That's great. It's It's 100% true. Right? It's because he tries to take his movies a hair more seriously than Bay does. Exactly. He tries to take his movies a hair more seriously. They go a little slower. There's a little more storytelling. There's less tits and ass. There's less explosions and shiny things. Yeah. But that's because he's trying to make a drama. Yeah. Whereas Michael Bay, it's the same thing, though. He goes with his action movies, and he takes them to this next level with all the filters and all the shots, like rotating shots. And I think they're both great. I think that Michael Bay is put into the exact category that he's supposed to be in and that is why people look at him and go Michael Bay is sweet you know why because he makes Transformers and he makes Transformers bigger and better and shinier yeah 
Well, yeah, and that's the thing is that Bay. Bay is the original. He's the OG. Like if you talk about if you talk about these kind of movies, because mm-hmm. he's made the biggest, he's made the most, um, and he's just gotten away with it for years. They've made money forever. It's like we always we used to talk that way about Tony Scott until we realized how much of a fucking genius he was. <laughs> he really is the greatest director of all time. <laughs> um, but like he's in the same conversation with these guys. It's sort of like Fuqua wishes that he was Tony Scott to me. Yeah. That's kind of what it is. Or like, or Fuqua is the perfect hybrid of Tony Scott and Michael Bay. Or yeah. Something some, like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I can't imagine, you know that Southpaw was originally supposed to star Eminem? Yes. I remember. I remember. I think Jason told me that. I don't yeah. Remember. Yeah. So it's like, if they had made Southpaw and it had starred Eminem, it would have been every, it literally would have been everything about, like, that would have been Antoine Fuqua to the max. Let's put 50 Cent in the movie and also Eminem in the movie yeah. and also bill it like it's going to win Oscars. Yep. Like, I guess maybe it got that billing a little bit more because it's Hall. Right, but you just described Training Day. Let's <laughs> throw Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg in and throw in Denzel because it's, he's going to win an Oscar. Yeah. And it's so, the same thing. Yeah. And it's like, he, he's... Fuqua's a guy that I've got my eye on because my opinion of him over the last five years has changed so drastically. It's like I've learned to love and hate him so much more. Exactly. It's like I used to be so much less impassioned about it, (laughs) but as he's made everything from Shooter on was just like shaking my head. It was like Shooter, London Has Fallen, The Equalizer, Magnificent Seven, and Southpaw. That's the five movies that have come out since Shooter. And they're so sweet. Yeah, like the... So you're just like, all right, I totally get it because now I understand what I'm getting into. Right. Now I no longer have to explain to people why Training Day is not that good. Now, now it's the proof's in the pudding, man. Go yeah, watch exactly. that movie. Look at everything else that he's done. <laughs> Go rewatch Training Day. I used to have to fight. I used to have to stand on my soapbox about that movie so much harder oh, than course. I have to now. Of course. Um, but also now that I feel like it's kind of like the Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady argument. It's like yeah. it's the whole like. Once people stopped fighting anymore that Peyton had a chance to be in the same conversation as Brady, once they just gave up... There's still people that argue that, but yes. Well, I feel like the general consensus... Absolutely. It's Tom Brady and and Belichick are greatest quarterback, greatest coach, greatest coach-quarterback combo. People came around on it. Now, as the huge Tom Brady fan, I just get to be like, yeah, I like Peyton Manning. I'm a fan of him. I am a total fan of Peyton Manning. Whereas I used to despise him because I used to feel like I had to argue against him. Yeah, so now it's like, yeah, I I like Antoine Fuqua's movies. They're fun. Exactly. I'm a fan of Fuqua. All right, let's move on. (laughs) Those are great. Guys, let us know if you have any thesis statements. And again, we don't dislike Antoine Fuqua or this movie. These are just our thoughts. These are just our thoughts. <laughs> um, all right, guys. We're going to get a fist bump moment. If you guys watch or listen to the show every week, you know exactly what this is. This is that moment in the movie when something hot happens and you're just like, this is so fucking sweet. Yes. Like, yes. I get to watch the rest of this movie. Um, and uh, you, you want to call your buddy and just tell him how pumped you are. You know, we've gotten a couple complaints over, over like the last year about that we explain these rules every single episode. That's but, the only reason we do the show. Yeah, is but, to explain. but then also somebody tweeted the other day and said, I love... How excited we are every, every time single time. time. It's because every time a fist pump happens in a movie, it's exciting. And it should be. And you should be excited to talk about it like we are. Yeah, so this is... I, I don't know if you're going to have the same one as me. I'm assuming I'm you do. I'm sure we will. Because in the theater, the minute you see Vincent D'Onofrio in this movie, it's we, it's a literal like get up and cheer moment. Yeah, it's like a get up and cheer belly <laughs> laugh moment where everyone in the theater kind of looks around at each other like... <laughs> Awesome. But I think it's totally intentional. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. You basically Dinofra is the he's the sixth guy. He's the sixth guy that they meet yeah. out of the seven. Yep. And all the first five you meet are like Denzel's a fucking badass. Pratt's like a super sweet sidekick who's like good with his guns yeah. and he's essentially Han Solo. You have like You've got the Mexican badass who's like kind of a wild card, but he's actually super cool. Yeah, and you've got uh you've got Ethan Hawk who's like uh Sharpshooter, the Angel of Death, or whatever. Yeah, old friends with Denzel. And you've got the guy who basically is identical to Jin from Lost. He's I mean, so awesome. He's pretty. With, and, and I'm hoping that doesn't sound racist, but I literally thought he, he looked, was the same yeah. actor. And he's the guy. He's the guy that was just in Terminator, Terminator Genesis. Genesis. Yes, yeah. um, Beyond, uh, Billy he's Korean. He yeah. might have actually been my favorite actor in the whole movie. He's sweet. He was super sweet in this. And I, I also love like. There's so many times... In, okay, so uh, here's a great example. Black Widow in the Avengers movies. You're like, she's dead. She should be dead, die, dead, done, no chance. Yeah. All the time. And it's because she's like fighting with her hands against like a superhero, right? What's sweet about Billy is it's that same thing they do in all these movies. Where they try to make one guy really sweet with knives. Yeah. Like a knife thrower, knife fighter. Yeah. Because everyone's got guns. Yeah. 
it's awesome. He was great. He's it's awesome. They the, the knives are so deadly and the he's hairpin. so accurate. The hairpin, yeah. like ah, just he's great. And then okay, so back to what we're saying. Uh, so the sixth is when is the sixth is D'Onofrio. So because the first five are all like in shape ish. Yeah. Like I mean Denzel's a little out of shape at this point, but like enough. Did you think it was going to be the brothers for a second? No. That had the gun. No, hundred percent. No. Okay. Yeah. There's no question. Yeah. <laughs> um. And uh, and D'Onofrio just comes like rumbling in off screen, and like, well, the dude's standing there talking. All of a sudden, he gets hit with a hatchet. <laughs> you look at you're like, and D'Onofrio's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> he's running, and he's wearing like a bear skin, yeah, and he's like lumbering. He's such a huge man, and he just crushes the guy's head with his boot. And I just, it was just a, I just couldn't stop laughing. It and was then he starts talking. He's like, I've been tracking those guys for three days. Yeah. Like he made this, <laughs> made this choice to have like the high pitch, the high pitched voice. Any time that he talked, you lost it yeah. in the movie the whole time. I couldn't, I couldn't st- help myself. Brilliant. It was like listening to Bob with tits from Fight Club. It was. Yeah. It was just like that, but higher pitched and more crackly and without tits and being just gigantic. A bear of a man, literally. Literally. Uh, um, so yeah, that would that I mean, was mine too. And actually, my other fist pump because right when that happened, I looked over, I was like, "That's my." You're like, "Yeah, that's our fist pump." Yeah, there's no. Uh, the other one was another D'Onofrio moment. It's when they go to take over the town the first time. Yeah. And you and I both love this part. It's when he spears the dude on the horse yeah. from <laughs> off the deck. Because they're okay. So there's something brilliant about watching a gigantic man that looks fat, out of shape, and unagile yeah. to move like Chris Farley and Vincent D'Onofrio yeah. do. Yep. And to see him just like scurry across that deck and launch off, just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, I would say, I, I mean, Pratt has a bunch of sweet lines. They're, none of them really are fist pumps for me. They're mostly like, I guess the other fist pump moment is when, when Denzel's like, I'm more than happy to cooperate. But I can't say the same for my compadres. And yeah. then you see each of the guys, like, it, yeah, they're each, like, walk out from, like, behind the corner or whatever. <laughs> they're all behind, like, posts. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, that was, like, yeah, shit's about to go down. Yeah, that was good. Um, so that would be my other first I loved, I loved the moment when, uh, it might have, it might even be my, one of my favorite lines, but I don't think it is my favorite, so I want to talk about it now. Uh, it's after you, because every guy kind of has their introduction to them being awesome. Yeah. And Chris Pratt's is after he leaves the card game and he gets, he gets... Uh, held up for yeah. the money and stuff by the guy and his brother and he does this long card trick and he ends up shooting the brother kills him and then he shoots the guy or he does you know he messes up the guy what does he where does he shoot, does he shoot him he oh, shoots, he shoots his, his ear off, off. Yeah. yeah yeah uh and and there's this moment about this sincerity that we always talk about with that like leading man charisma Pratt's where he's just spades, he's man. just joking around having fun da, da, da. he's kind of badass but then he says this one line at the very end yeah and it was that moment where I was like oh Man, you do, you do have it because yeah. that's awesome. And he goes, he's all joking. Around. He's like, yeah, I really didn't, wish I didn't have to kill your brother, but he shouldn't have touched my guns. Yeah, it just got real serious, like no joking. Yep. and then it's cut, and I was just like, that guy. Yeah, I like that. guy. I wrote that down as well. I oh, did you? Up. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think I think Pratt has really uh, you know vaulted into that conversation now, where he's just like he's that guy. He's the guy right now. Yeah, he he is magnetic on screen. Yeah, guys, you know it's hard. It's hard to be one of those guys, and it's you don't get to be that guy very easily. Um, pe- people get get it for a year or two, and obviously the greatest of all time are the ones who just do it for years repeatedly. Yeah. But Pratt seems to be on a pretty nice roll right now, and uh, and he's not overset, which is perfect because our next thing is our star profiles. I didn't realize that he really doesn't oversaturate himself in the market. Yeah, not yet. Not uh, yet. Have you seen the trailer for Passengers yet? No. That's that's gonna be the that's one. That's the one, yeah, because it's him and Lawrence, and I already feel like she's already doing it. Oh no no no, not like the bad one. That's oh, the one like that's gonna be the one. That's gonna be like the Pratt movie that people are like. Oh really? Yeah, it's gonna be so good. Isn't there? A, is that the? Are we talking about the same one? Passengers. It's the one where they're like it's him and Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they're and they're it's like they're put into hibernation to, for like a hundred years with like right. the human race to go to like another planet or something like right, that. Right. But they wake up like eighty years early, and just the two of them, and it looks insane. Well, and the script had been, like, kicked around for a long time in Hollywood as, like, one of the scripts, like, one of those blacklist scripts, like, the one everyone wanted to make. Right. And finally, they put them in it, and they started making it, and, like, it's just, there's just a lot of excitement. The movie just looks like it's going to be awesome. I hope it is. I hope it is for him, because I don't dislike Jennifer Lawrence, and I love Chris Pratt, so 
Yeah, I think I so. I hope so. Very good. But uh, speaking of Denzel first, before we get to Pratt, mm-hmm. um, talking about star profiles, where they're at in their career. So um, Denzel, as we've talked about now, because we've done, fuck, how many now is this? Have we done more Denzel or more Cruise movies? Wow, I think Denzel might have beaten Cruise on our list now. This chair is absurd. Um, <laughs> this chair is absurd. <laughs> we got Training Day. Yeah, I mean, you got Training Day, you got Deja Vu, you got Mag 7. You got Pelham. You got Pelham, you got Man on Fire. You got Crimson. Holy shit. Um, I, and you know what? There's one thing about Denzel that I feel like when we talk about Cruise and some of these other guys, I could just talk about Denzel forever. I mean, I could talk oh, about yeah. Cruise forever, too, but I don't feel like we... We, we like murder it with Denzel like we do with Cruz you know yeah it's like overkill I mean maybe that's maybe that's all of them I think that's the six we've done so with Cruz you've done MI uh, three four three, and four, five. five and Minority Report so that's four Edge Minority five. oh yeah he beats him because Edge Minority Reacher oh yeah Reacher Samurai wow so they're definitely the guys we've covered the most on this show. Is it seven each? Is what we've done? It could be tied. I think it's tied. Top Gun. And Top Gun. Yeah. No, I think <laughs> Cruz wins. What a shocker. Yeah. <laughs> Eight Cruz and seven Denzel. 15 of the 73 movies. Hey, man. They've made some of the 15 of the best action movies in the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. And it's only going to get worse because we've got Jack Reacher 2 coming out. And Equalizer 2. Two weeks. That's not until 2017. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so Denzel Washington here. We got got, uh, Flight in 2012. Which I like a lot. I think Flight's very good. Very good. He got the Oscar nod for the first time in a decade for that. Yep. Uh, Two Guns in 2013. And Equalizer in 2014, which is honestly becoming one of my favorites. So I've just seen Equalizer once. I I should clearly watch it again. It just keeps popping up on HBO. We haven't done it on here yet. No, I know. And that'll be coming up soon. Yeah. I guess we could wait all the way until... We'll probably wait on it a while just because we've hit two Denzel in three weeks now. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to kill off all the Denzel movies. Yeah, we got to save it. We got to save it. So we'll do Equalizer eventually. But Two Guns I didn't watch, did you? No. Yeah. I just, for whatever reason, I avoided it. Two Guns and Safe House are two like Denzel movies that I was just like, they just disappeared for me. It came and went, yeah. But they're movies that should be probably watched at some point. People love Safe House. Yeah, it's a popular one. And Two Guns I heard nothing good about. But No, nothing. <laughs> um, Who's in that? Wahlberg. Oh, yeah. Tim yeah, and Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and that's the one where on set, that was the that was the movie that on set Wahlberg got the idea for Lone Survivor. So, um, okay. So, uh, but yeah, we, we've talked about this a lot. You know, guys that, because Denzel's in his 60s now. Denzel's in his 60s. So like, It's only until the very end that you, when he's sitting on the horse after he's taken off yeah. his coat, where you're like, you look fat, yeah, and like out of shape, and yeah, yeah. But he just doesn't he have rocks at the whole movie. He just doesn't have to be. He's in, never had to be in shape like that. Yeah, type really. Of dude. I mean, even like he was, he was like in shape in the back in the day. Yeah, like Crimson Tide. He's clearly in great shape. Yeah, but like he was never one of those dudes that just was like, I need to have a six pack and I need to be shredded all the time. No, I mean, that's because he's an incredible actor, amazing actor, and and, and he's he, he's at that point in his career now where he's like a character. Oh, he's absolutely. Just like, he's just like Denzel playing Denzel. Right. He's just a badass because he's Denzel. Washington. He just gets to do that. Yeah. So, um, but this is this is phase three of Denzel's career. Like we. Phase one is all the 80s stuff. It's Malcolm X. It's Glory. It's Devil in a Blue Dress. It's Mm -hmm. all the shit that leads up until sort of like the Crimson Tide. He starts to make that foray into action movies and into the mid-90s. Yep. Um, That's like the first time. And then at that point, he's really gunning for the lead actor Oscar. And he spends the next 10 years. And it's right around the time that he wins for Training Day. It's like... The next several years become like just commercial, 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 and that's when he's that's when he made the next four Tony Scott movies. Right, was between uh, 2003 and 2009. Like all of those movies in there that are Tony Scott and not, you know, everything from everything John from Q, John Q, Fire. Antoine Fisher, yeah, Man on Fire, Taking a Pelham, Unstoppable, Deja Vu, um, just movie after movie after movie, and, and you know, American Gangsters thrown in there as well. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we're now into the next phase of Denzel Washington. Where he is no longer, he's no longer like a guy who's on the forefront of like teenagers' minds. Like he's not a he's not a current enough guy. So a movie like this, I mean, if you look at these last few, it's like movies for us. Flight is Iran ha- or Zemeckis. Flight Zemeckis. Zemeckis, yes. And that was, but that's like an Oscar movie. Yeah. No, no teenagers gonna see that. Two Guns is like Denzel and and Wahlberg, and that's thirteen, and like they tried, it didn't work. 
Safe House is, was a flop, essentially, in terms mm-hmm. of, like, people don't talk Even about people it. people liked it, yeah. Equalizer is loved, but was not, like, a hit. Not a mo- not in a hit like like this movie could be. If or, it like, wasn't Denzel and Equalizer, they wouldn't be making another one. Right. And then this movie. So he's kind of in this phase now where he's, like, making the movies that I guess he wants to make, or I guess he's, mm-hmm. like, the movies that he can make. But he's, he's obviously still A-list. Yeah, he's definitely... I mean, Denzel will never not be A-list. I love speaking like that. Uh, he will never not be an A-lister. Um, but I think he has that one more phase in his career. At least I really, really hope so. I the, think he rides this for a few more years. You're talking like the Paul Newman phase? Yes. Yeah. The awesome, like, old, gray, grizzled Denzel that wins another Oscar that for a movie that you watch it and you go, oh my god, that is one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. Not like... Remember, the Titans was great, and so was Hurricane, so let's give it to him for training day. Yeah. No, like an incredible performance. So, spoiler alert, guys. Later in the show, we're going to do a segment. It's going to be uh, top three remakes we think Denzel would absolutely slay in the lead role. Right. Um, so, teaching Action movie that, remakes. Uh, correct? Uh, what did I write down? Uh, ish. I mean, okay. in the category. Uh, one of mine, just for the record, is, is a thing you're talking about. I can't wait to get there. So, okay. uh, tune in, guest days. Stay for the rest of the show, and we'll get to that towards the end. Um, so let's uh, let's let's move on to Pratt a little bit. Talk about where Pratt is. Um, so, Gem and the Holograms, 2015. I didn't see. Did you? Neither did I. No. Kind of came and went, as far as I was yeah, concerned. Yeah, I don't even. I didn't know anything about it. Jurassic World in 2015, Guardians of the Galaxy. This is the big. This is the big Pratt like moment. Like, yes. 2014, 2015. Those two movies are like the huge ones. Guardians is like a career defining movie for Chris Pratt. Um, he and was, it's it's, it's career defining role. Everything in the next one. That's it's gonna be gigantic. The second Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, the first Guardians is like Star Wars, basically. Yeah, it's pretty for much the, for the younger generation. Absolutely. It's like got it's got the uh, the formula, everything, the characters. It's like and Pratt's just a great, Pratt's just a great leading man. It had humor, everything. That movie. That movie kicked ass. It's very good. It's it's every time. It's one of those ones. Every time you watch it, you're kind of reminded of how good surprised it is. Surprised how good it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was like, man, talk about it. as a kid growing up as a comic book fan. Um, the Guardians of the Galaxy and that entire like sub genre of Marvel comics that got popular in the late '80s and early '90s was always kind of like this is so zany. This could only work as comic books. Like right. this is never going to cross over and be something that people like. Like so, the next Avengers movies that our buddy uh, Matt is going to go work on. It's the Infinity War, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's like there's there's like the whole entire huge plot line. That's basically if, if you guys have ever read the comic books, it's like Thanos and all this stuff. It's insane. It's awesome. It's it, it was in the early '90s. The Infinity Gauntlet was like a very popular comic book storyline. It's really good. But from the Infinity Gauntlet came the Infinity War, the Infinity Crusade, all of the stuff with like uh, Drax and like all the shit from the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. Like that whole like sort of weird space pirate alien genre just like it got really popular in comic books but i could never have imagined growing up when i was re- i was buying those comics like quarter comics like old back issues and bins that, that someday yeah. that was going to be like the defining marvel movie like the two that have come out that were the defining ones i would say are avengers and guardians like the iron man movies were all super popular and like the captain america yeah. movies were super well, iron popular man kind of started it all but yeah I, I agree but avengers was that one and then guardians was like the surprise hit that people were like this movie is just so good i didn't think it was going to be that good i remember thinking i was just like but that's what's so cool about cg and technology when it's not abused is you can make things come to life that you could have never imagined seeing on screen um but this whole conversation with Chris Pratt and where he's at in his career and how awesome he is in this movie, I think sparks a nice, fun little top three for us. Okay, what do you got? And that top three for me is top three sidekicks. Okay. In films, I don't know, do you want to do action? I don't know if you do or don't. I did. I, I chose three that were from films that we've covered on the show. So uh, I believe I did as well. Let me double check really quick. Um, I'm gonna th- I'm going to throw in my number one just because I, I think it's... Almost, it, there's almost no chance that it's not on your list because yeah, it's, I don't know. My list is pretty obscure, is it? Yeah, because my my number one is like the obvious. It's the obvious comp to Pratt, and uh, that's Doc Holliday. Doc Holliday. Okay, I like Tombstone. that. Yeah, of course. That was that was one of that was I think that was the first one that popped in my head. Yeah, I didn't and use it because I knew you would. It's like one of my favorite characters of all time. Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday in Tombstone is just so good. He's just, I mean. It's just his lines are just amazing. Everything he says, Johnny Ringo, Johnny Ringo, yeah. Uh, so my my next or my sidekicks, I'm trying to decide what order I want to go in. All right, here we go. So my third sidekick is going to be 
Cicero from Gladiator. Cicero, huh? Cicero and Proximo and the German guy. It's a combination of all... It's like his supporting army around him. Because they all sacrifice their lives to save him for the greater good. Cicero gets shot with arrows and hung. The gigantic German gladiator gets shot with arrows and, like, stabbed with spears. Right. And then Proximo gets executed. Yep. And it's just... How often do you get to see the ultimate sacrifice given by a sidekick? Yeah, not not too often. Those are those are good. Um, I will go next with uh, with Gosling from the Nice Guys. <laughs> <laughs> so are you you? Were, it sounds like you were thinking more of like Chris Pratt playing these roles. No, I, no. I think I could totally see him playing all these roles. I think he'd be awesome. Yeah, totally. I mean, Holiday's a little bit of a stretch because he'd play it differently, right? I think I haven't seen him take that kind of a. I haven't seen him just take that kind of like a risk yet. Gosling and Nice Guys is fantastic. That movie's so good. It's out on Redbox now. Yeah. Okay, guys, I just saw someone write that they had just watched Last Samurai. So it, go watch our episode covering Last Samurai and go watch The Nice Guys yeah. and then go watch our episode covering it because, God, it's so good. Nice Guys was my favorite movie of the whole year. Same, and, still. And, and Gosling, just that when he, when that opening scene where he's in the bathtub and he's got written on his hand, you will never be happy. <laughs> He's just brilliant in that movie. The him trying to break into the door yeah. still. Okay. Um, that's a lot of blood. That's a lot of blood. <laughs> Got to be crafty. Got to come up with stuff on your own. Um, <laughs> my second one is Ken Watanabe in The Last, Last Samurai. Samurai. Okay, that's a good sidekick. It's a good one. It's a great one. I like yeah. my sidekicks to die. I yeah. don't know if you noticed that. Apparently so. <laughs> Speaking of sidekicks dying... Dylan, Dylan, you son of a bitch! Son of a bitch! He becomes the sidekick in the end. He he does that redeeming. He doesn't start out that way, but by the middle of the movie, when he decides to switch, we've been looking for this place for months. (laughs) My men were in that chopper. He's the bad guy through the first half because you don't have one. Yeah, totally. And then it's Predator. I didn't know about an operation in this area. Nobody told me (laughs) much. I'm telling you, you need to reshoot that whole movie shot for shot. Yeah. Just with you. I can do both characters. You could. At least Captain Minister. Was he always travel on the wrong side of the border? <laughs> Gets better and better. Every time. My next one is a shout out to our episode next week. Okay. Legolas? No, not Legolas. <laughs> Samwise Gamgee. Samwise the Brave. How can you not put Sam on your list of sidekicks? He's the greatest sidekick Ever, all times, hands down, no one beats him. Share the load. Share the load. I could just hold it for a while. Lambus bread. Lambus bread. He took it. Okay. It's anyway, that thing. Golem. Ah, uh, that's a good one. It's a good one. It's a really good. I'm one. very curious to see what your last one is. No, that was my three. Oh, that was your three. You went I did first. Holiday okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Mine's yeah. All right, all right. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit of production development. Uh, the team involved in this. So, uh, guys, we talked about Fuqua quite a bit. So, for those of you that are wondering, Fuqua started out as an, as, as a uh, music video director, directed mm-hmm. vi- videos for like Tony Braxton, for like Stevie Wonder, Coolio, ended up making a film called Bait. Uh, and then followed up with Replacement Killers, which then ultimately got him Training Day in 01. Training Day is the movie that really blew his career up yep. and uh, fooled everybody into thinking that he was a drama director. And uh, <laughs> Training Day, for the record, is very entertaining. It very is. Very entertaining. It is very entertaining. Our Training Day episode from a couple weeks ago, I like watched the beginning of it and was like, that's pretty funny. Like, that's that's pretty entertaining it's stuff. a very good episode and i told you this but uh, i have a good friend um spencer from a company called don't make this weird and uh i work with him and and uh, jose on some some products for different podcasts i do but we had a whole long conversation a few weeks ago about uh, training day and how i have a distaste for that movie being regarded as a dr- dramatic classic and he was like all right man all right well you know if you do it on your show i'll watch the episode he had never watched the show and uh, I sent him the link, and I said, you should watch this. And he, and he, we talked later, and he was like, dude, I was dying laughing. He's like, it's like my favorite movie of all time, but I agreed with all of your complaints yep. in the episode, and I totally had a good time watching it. He's a like, great job. And I was like, that's great, because it means we can cover movies people love, but at least cover them honestly. That's what the show is all about. That is what this is all about. And you and I had this conversation so many times about whether or not we're movie critics and movie reviewers, and we, did, I, I didn't like that title. And I don't know how you felt about it originally, but when it comes down to it, that's what we are. That is our job. Yep. We watch movies and we review them. And if we're not going to do an honest review, then fuck us. Don't watch this show. Yeah. Why? I'm not going to lie to you about a movie and be like, oh, Training Day is the greatest thing. Denzel deserves an Oscar. You're tell him, no. Yeah. We're going to give you an honest coverage of the film. And that doesn't mean that we don't like it if we don't think it deserved all the praise and accolades that it got. 
Yeah. And vice versa for movies that were completely ignored that we love, like Looper. Yeah. You know? Looper's sweet. So... Um, so Fuqua, that's that's kind of his thing. After Training Day, he really has gone on to a lot of those movies I named already. But he he makes well, we talked about him a lot today already. We can we can yeah. move on from him. I mean, if that's that's Fuqua's story. He's talented at making the kind of movies that he makes, and they're great for what they are. And if you like this show, he's probably like one of your favorite directors ever because yeah. he directs like half the movies we cover on the show. Um, talking about the producers involved, Roger Birnbaum and Todd Black Good as boy, well as Todd Black yeah. and. Bruce Berman. Bruce Berman. And Fuqua. So there's like six producers listed. Um, the credits involved. I mean, both of these guys, there was not really a whole lot of rhyme and reason to the credits. They had both worked on a lot of stuff. Like crossed 30 films together, yeah, right? a lot of them had. And, and it wasn't even one of those situations where you look at the two and they've worked on a ton of stuff together. They'd worked on a few. But ultimately, like, Birnbaum had, like, some of the ones I, I wrote down were, like, Angels in the Outfield, Gross Point mm. Blank, all three Rush Hour films, Unbreakable, Invictus, like... Evan Almighty, Bruce Almighty, like he just a lot of different stuff. I think when you get a movie like this with a cast like this, yeah, it's gonna have the producers that are involved in some of the biggest films in the last 10, 20 years. Yeah, those like are always. Yeah, I mean the other the other guy we mentioned, uh, Todd Black, you know his stuff like Antoine Fisher, Great Debaters, Equalizer. So he works with, and then Pursuit he's also happiness. Pursuit of Happiness, Seven Pounds. So Denzel and Will Smith seem to be kind of guys that he's worked with a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I noticed that he had worked with Brian Helgeland because Knight's Tale, which is written and directed by Helgeland, and then also Taking of Pelham, also with Denzel, was like written by Helgeland. Um, so yeah, I mean these guys, they're they're pretty su- very 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 successful producers, mm-hmm. but it's not like part of a team or a company where they've done you know these nine movies that we care about. It's like kind of random. Yeah, yeah, and and before we get into writers, I wanted to say this really quickly because James Horner did the music for this film. Yeah, uh, before he died, but the movie had I mean, the the he composed the entire score during pre pro because he was so moved and inspired by the script. Yeah, uh, which was it's kind of it's it's really cool. It's really cool that you got this kind of post posthumous soundtrack from a guy that is considered one of the greatest composers of all time yeah for his very last film that that he hadn't even hadn't even started filming yet so uh that's kind of a cool little gift from james the music the music was good yeah solid you know i mean it's exactly what you want in a, in a western type of movie completely agree uh and the reason that i wanted to say that before we got into writers is because we've got a very special writing yeah, two writing credits in this. We have Todd Black, the producer we just talked about, who partnered with Pizzolatto to work on the film. Yeah. And Pizzolatto, Nick Pizzolatto, for those that don't know, is the creator of True Detective. Yeah. Weird, 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 weird writer for this movie. Too. Very weird. I was, like, so surprised. Like, so when I started doing the research on Pizzolatto, and I never interviewed Pizzolatto, but I interviewed Kerry Joji Fukunaga, the other creator. Right. Um, so the two of those guys were the guys that created True Detective. Pizzolatto wrote every episode of season one and season two. The total disappointing bomb of season two. Have you rewatched it yet? No. I'm curious what will happen when I rewatch it. Season two? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably better than you remember. Yeah. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's less of a disappointment. Um, he also worked on the TV series The Killing before he did True Detective, which is like another sort of like noirish, uh, crimey sort of thing. Um, but then ultimately, and he's, you know, he's a published uh, novelist, a poet, mm-hmm. and this is his first feature film credit. This is his first one. Wow. What like what is He does all TV, huh? I just was like totally blown away as I thought about that. I was like, so what a weird thing. You take the rights to the original Magnificent 7. You get the writer of True Detective to write it. One of the like the greatest season maybe of all time writing-wise on a TV show. But such a slow like dark, dark crime-driven yeah, creepy, yeah. And then you get Antoine Fuqua to direct a Pizzolatto script. A- popcorn western remake yeah, Pizzolatto and, script. And at this point it's not like there's any question what kind of a director Fuqua is. No, and and the writing for this film doesn't feel like Pizzolatto's either. No, but it made, once I realized that he was writing it I started to pay a little closer attention to think about like It made sense why a lot of it makes sense why a lot of the dialogue, there are moments where you're kind of like, alright, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, like there's a couple lines, you know, Denzel has that line that he says to that he says to Ethan Hawke, what we lost in the fire, I will find in the ashes. Yeah. Like, lines like that where you're sort of like, okay. There's like, a, there is, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of moments in the, in the film where there's just great writing, kind of surrounded by crap, 
um, because of the type of film it is. It's a popcorn and, action. And, and scripts like this get a lot of rewrites as you go into production. There's too much money involved. Or, you know, when the, when the, when the girl says, um, I, you know, I seek, what'd she say? I he goes, se- you seek revenge. She goes, I seek righteousness, sir. But I'll take revenge. But I'll, we, as we all should, but I'll take revenge. Yeah, it's, those are smart lines. There was numerous lines where you and I looked at each other and we're kind of like, that was a really good line. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's interesting that, that uh, Pizzolatto wrote this, but it, you know, it, it, he's also, Pizzolatto, for those that are interested, uh, season three of True Detective has not been greenlit, but he did sign on for a crime project with HBO that he is under contract with them through 2018 to produce content. So hmm, wonder um, what that might be. Yeah, I'll be very excited to see that. So let's uh, move on through into <clears throat> Critical. Yeah, so this is uh, produced by Sony and Columbia. It costs $90 million to make, which makes sense. You know, a lot of probably practical explosions and blood and things like that. No CG except for the end, which was one of the worst endings to a film. It doesn't ruin the film by any means. It's just completely irrelevant and shouldn't happen. It's one of those... It's like the end of Gangs of New York. Yeah. Where it's like a voiceover. It's the female lead's voiceover of the story of what happened as like... They look at the city from afar, and it's just CG, and it looks like shit. It looks yeah. like a video game. I think that that's um, her monologue is from the original film. I'm pretty sure. I think it is too. I think that's what I read. But it doesn't. It, just come on. Just just go out in a field and put some headstones down. Yeah. Do a real shot. Yeah. You know. Anyway, ninety million dollars budget. Uh, Open September twenty third, twenty sixteen. Which is week. actually like ninety. Actually, is smaller than I would have expected. To be I, I was surprised too because it's all star power. Yeah. You, get, you know, you got to pay those guys. Uh, thirty million dollars or thirty thirty seven dollars, uh, thirty seven million dollars domestic, twenty one worldwide for a gross total of fifty eight million so far, and it made thirty four on its opening weekend at number one. So I mean, this movie will it, it'll do very well. It'll do very well, and I kind of want that to lead into our AMA question of the day because uh, it doesn't happen a lot. We don't get a lot of westerns yep. anymore. Um, so we have our hashtag AMA question, guys. We do it every single week. You can always tweet in at AMA Podcast and submit your question for the movie that we're covering that week. And today, I decided to pick the hardest name to say. It's Stephen Alzugari. Alzugari. I'm so sorry if I butchered that. It's a new that. Twitter follower. It's a new Twitter follower. Uh, at Alzugari1993. That's A-L-Z-U-G-A-R-A-Y if you do want to find him. And if you want to find us, you guys can find the podcast at AMA Podcast, just for the record. Yes. And his question is, 1 to 10, how good was it as a Western? And the reason that I picked that question is is because this is what it's supposed to be, is a Western. We don't get a lot of those anymore. And I feel like my ideal of yeah. what a Western is, I don't really even know anymore. Yeah, I would say um, th- this would be my answer to that question. Um, uh, below average significantly as a Western. Right. It's an action movie. It's yes. not a Western. It it has a couple. It, it's setting. It's setting suggests that it's a western, but it really. It's just okay. You guys want to watch a western? Go watch Hell or High Water, mm-hmm. the new one. Yeah, go watch that movie because that movie is as like slow and dark. Yeah, because westerns like, are exactly they're slow and they're dark and they're drawn out and there's there's so much tension building. You know, yeah. like the heightened tension moments of the of the good guy doing good things and the bad guy being evil. Is it to live and die in the wet? Is that what's to the live? In, you're talking. About? Yeah, that that's like the shootout at the end of that is one of the greatest things yeah. ever, and it's all because of. This. Wait, are you talking about Once Upon a Time in the West? Is that the shootout? That's the famous shootout at the end of the using the arcade fire video. Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West has a, I think, a pretty epic shootout. My phone end. is like dead, or else I'd look it up right and now. Butch just, Cassidy has like the most famous shootout in a western. Not ca- talking about Butch Cassidy. That one's great, but. Okay, so then at the end of this one, there's no shootout either. Or the Wild Bunch, maybe, is what you're talking about. No, it's, it's no. one of... I, I got, I'm going to try to look it up and see if my phone has enough battery. But this film, what do you want at the end of the movie? Is you want a shootout between the villain and, and the hero. Yeah. But then it seems so... If it were to happen at the end of this film, where it was just a straight shootout, yeah. and Denzel just killed him right away, yeah. it would have been so dissatisfying. Well, I think the ending was pretty dissatisfying. Well, it was, but imagine if that was it. Yeah, it'd be worse. They, would, they, they had to drag it out longer because they didn't do a good enough job telling the story in the movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think I think my answer to that question is is below average, and, and I think if you think about like the old spaghetti westerns, if you think about like uh, Unforgiven, like they're just... They're slower, they're darker, they're violent, but not in like a... This movie was just like a very fun popcorn action movie that happened to be set in a Western setting. Yeah. It didn't feel like a Western to me. No. So I don't think that this movie renews interest in in the Western genre. You know, if... I'm telling you, if Hell or High Water wins a bunch of Oscars... 
that's the kind of thing that will make people want to make a western like yeah so uh that would be my answer to the question and i recommend people seeing that movie that movie's aged well in my mind too after watching it the first time the I, few people that i've i've heard talk about it other than you they all love it yeah. they all say it's great it's yeah. very good um okay so thanks again for your uh ama question again guys that's at AMA podcast hashtag AMA question next week we're doing well we'll cover that in a minute um, <clears throat> critical reception has got a 7.2 on IMDB which I think I'm okay with that maybe a 6.9 would seem more correct 6.9 seems exactly right yeah um, or 7.0 exactly maybe yeah it seems a little high uh, it's got a 61% by all critics 46% by top critics and 80, 80% by audience I think that's perfect that follows our exact uh our algorithm that we have, our formula that we have for movies that are good. Audience and bad always on the likes show. these movies the most, and top critics liked it the least. Exactly. Standard. Um, almost to the point of twice as much. Yes. Um, brutal. So uh, let's move into our favorite line. Mm-hmm. Favorite line in the movie. Um, I will jump in as the one I pointed out during the trailer. My favorite line is a Chris Pratt line, and it's when the it's when uh, what's his name, Cam Giganet, who's like the henchman, the main henchman of uh, Peter Skarsgård, is like, you know, he says something about like you'll be. You'll be dead or something like that, and Pratt's like, and you'll be murdered yeah. by the world's greatest lover. Yeah. <laughs> like that is that was such a sweet line. Everyone lost it during yeah. that part. It was great. Uh, I think, I think my favorite line is in the very beginning. It's during Denzel's intro, and he's like, uh, he's like, oh yeah, how, how do you die? And he leans over. He's like, I whispered in his ear. And before he he starts singing the song, yeah, yeah, yeah. the song kind of sucks. Yeah, it was kind of lame. But up until that point, he's like, you know, I killed him. And he's like, you know, he's dead. He's like, well, yeah, how'd he die? And then he, when he just when he leans over and he says, I whispered in his ear. I wish it just stopped yeah. right there. And that was it. Because when he said that, I was just like, oh, that's cool. I know. If he had said, I whispered in his ear, and then it was like, hand moved a gun, and then he kills yeah. everyone, that would have been the move. It would have been so sweet. Yeah, it would have been super sweet. <laughs> but it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the world's greatest lover line is awesome. Uh then also you had the other one we mentioned. We we, we mentioned a couple of them already. Um, what we lost in the fire will find in the ashes. That's a good line. Yeah, that's a great one. The I seek, revenge. Yeah, I seek righteousness, but I'll take revenge. Also, uh, when she said when when Denzel Denzel says, "Been offered a lot for my work, but never everything." I think that's a cool line too. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I'm like determined to find this, but I don't think I will. Uh, we can keep going. <laughs> uh, so those are our favorite lines why don't you just put it away Drew why I don't will you just put it... I will man <sighs> uh, alright guys so uh, we, we still have not come up with how we want to do this ranking system on the show it's getting closer we've had a couple conversations about it so it'll be something that we deal with soon but uh, just be noted by the time we do we'll, we'll slot in the, the 10 or so that we've missed right and uh, come up with a correct ranking but until then we'll keep filling it in with these little games that we do have yeah so today we've decided to do as mentioned earlier three films that we think Denzel in the starring role of the remake would just absolutely slay crush because the thing is with Denzel He's like Cruz in the sense that if you put him in a movie, it will probably be entertaining. Did you see that Cruz is in talks yeah, to star, to star in this? In this? Yeah. I thought that was funny. That was he, great. Denzel's better for this, though. Oh, absolutely. Um, Cruz is a little different than Denzel in that sense. I think that I think that Denzel's movie star charisma is better than Cruz's in some ways. Ooh. Like, I don't think that he's... I don't think, like, I enjoy him more, but I think he's sort of, like, more relatable for people. Yeah. Cruz is, like, sort of abrasive to a lot of people nowadays, I think. Yeah. And or, I mean, he he used to be more abrasive. There, There's, like, you... Cruz has to be in specific roles, where I think Denzel can just sort of get away with anything. Yeah. Switches. It's like Denzel and Clooney have that same thing going for them. They can kind of just do anything. Yeah, they can do anything, and they're the smartest guy in the room. It never gets old or tired. Yeah. You know? So uh, I'm going to jump in first. I, I think you're going to like this one. Um, well, okay, I'll, I'll save that one for last because it's the best one. Okay. Um, first one I'm going to go with is Dirty Harry. Okay. I think you could remake Dirty Harry with... And- and Denzel could do it even now at his age. I think he could be like a grizzled cop who's a vigilante and just like takes out justice. Okay. I think like Denzel would be sweet if you remade Dirty Harry and you got, I mean, unfortunately, it would be Fuqua that made that. Yes, but it like, would. If you got like, I would love it if you got like a really dark dramatic director. I would love if like Aronofsky made like a remake of Dirty Harry starring be Denzel. So or something. sweet. It'd be sick. Yeah, or like Danny Boyle. Yeah, something yeah. like that. So. Uh oh man, that's tough. I don't know which one's just, I don't know which one's my favorite. Um, I'll go the fugitive. 
Oh, sweet! Right, Richard Kimball. He could be the oh. greatest Richard Kimball ever. He be. You know, I came. I came home and my wife. She, my wife was dead. Yeah, she was dead. I came in. There was blood on the floor. Yeah, and I no. I'm innocent. You know, like oh my god. He would even have the. He would even have the moments like in Pelham when he's getting interrogated. Yeah, and he, and he's like, can I duck off my jacket? Yeah. Like that would be. Yeah, right? Oh, oh, that'd be so good. That's really good. That's really good. Um, I'm going to go next with The Sting. Um, I think he would play the Paul Newman role. Yeah. Uh, like, a, like a caper heist movie, classic. Like, I just think, I think Denzel playing the lead role in The Sting, he's like, you know, he'd be a great gambler. Um, all the scenes on the train when he's when he's, uh, when he's he's gambling with, uh, what the hell's his name, the big fat guy, uh, who, <laughs> whose name I can't think of right now. I never want him to stop making movies. Denzel? Yeah. Yeah. He'd be fucking great. The Sting should should get a remake at some point, but because it won Best Picture, it should really be made by somebody who cares. And I think if you got the right guy to remake the Sting and Denzel played the Paul Newman role, it'd be excellent. I think, honestly, it would be Clooney, except that Clooney's already made Ocean's Eleven, so right, I don't yeah. think you can really do it. I think Denzel would have to do it. You and I need to figure out how to get Denzel Washington in a fugitive remake, and then we need to write and direct that. Yes. <laughs> that would be so good. So good. <laughs> uh, all right. Next, I'm going to go with The Rock. I went with The Rock. Yes, General Hummel, right? No, he'd be Mason. Really? Okay, so I thought about Mason. I thought about General Hummel. I was just thinking about his speech to his wife yeah. and all that. Like, yeah, you're down there. We're up here. Like, I mean, he'd be unbelievable as Hummel. But I was just thinking, like, with his age now, yeah, that that him as Mason would just be fucking great. Can you imagine how patronizing he would be to like a younger actor? Like, if you put Gosling into the cage role, oh, so intimidating. Or if you put like Chris. Uh, if you could put Chris Pine, maybe. Or even, I would love to see him and Michael B. Jordan do it. Just do a straight, like, yeah. young, old, like, like super young. Yeah. That'd oh, be sweet. Man, that, like, little hothead. Well, that was my third, was The Rock. Okay, well, I ruined it. Well, my, my third is Collateral. Oh, wow. Jamie a remake Fox. of Collateral? Yeah, I'm saying if they were to redo it. Yeah. If he were to, because I'm not saying I want these remakes done. Yeah, I never right. want to see the remake of The Rock. Yeah, the fugitive right. one I'm in love with. Yeah. <laughs> but Collateral, if it would have been him instead of Jamie Foxx. Yeah. I think he'd be so sweet in that role. A little older, a little like. Yeah, it doesn't really make a difference, the age. No, a little worn out on the job and just like a good guy. A yeah. good guy trying to get through his day because we all know Denzel is so good at that. I wonder if there's a chance that in 2004. They talked to him? Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me, actually. Not at all. It's a couple years after he wins the Oscar. It might have been because he's too big and Tom Cruise doesn't like being, like... Maybe. ...overshadowed. But then Jamie Foxx just won the Oscar, He right? just won for Ray, yeah. right? Or did he win the next year for Ray? I think he won the next year for Ray. I think he Maybe. won in 05. Okay. And I think that's 04. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so that's our second top three. We had two top threes today. Yeah, double top three. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have uh, we have one last thing to do in this episode, and that's going to be called the pitch. <laughs> Donica, where are you? Where are you, Donica? Miss you, my friend. Um, so, uh, well, I suppose we have we have two more technically. Yeah. So well, this and one more. You guys are gonna have to wait on the pitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's three action movie categories, guys. There's totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. Um, which of those three categories does this movie fit into? Usually those are defined by, say, movies like The Fugitive, which are totally mm-hmm. legit. Movies like Face Off, which are kind of fall apart, hilarious, make you laugh unintentionally the whole time. And then movies that are right in the middle, like The Rock, Point Break, or Predator, which have a lot of intensity. They're, they're driven by some pretty credible things, but you definitely laugh unintentionally at points. Yes. Um, for me, I think this is the middle category. This is ridiculously legitimate because it definitely makes you laugh unintentionally at times. The darkness that goes along with some of this movie, like the fact that like half of the like lead characters die, spoiler alert, yeah, is like I thought that was a good choice that they do that. Yeah, it needed to happen. Yeah, like and I liked that it was. I, th- I thought the characters that died, it was like solid that they chose those guys. Mm-hmm. For instance, if they had just killed um, Red Harvest, D'Onofrio, uh, they had killed uh, the the Mexican guy whose name I can't think of yeah, right now. Yeah, I can't remember his name either. Um, if they had killed all of those guys... And right, they, all of the secondary characters would have been so lame. And they had left, like, Hawk, Denzel, and Pratt. You'd be like, all right, guys, whatever. Oh, wow. But the fact that, like, largely irrelevant characters all survived except for Denzel... Yeah. I thought that was totally legitimate. Yeah, it needed to happen. It really needed to happen. I'm glad that they didn't They didn't oversee that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to agree with you and put it in the middle category. Yeah. I think. Um... It's never. There's never moments where you're like, "This is a seriously legit, real western." Holy shit! What's going to happen next? Right. And the, you're not just watching it like, "Oh my god!" It's more like, "Oh my god, this is cool." Yeah. yeah. So, guys, getting back to the pitch. The pitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> we uh, we did a thing a couple weeks ago where we asked you guys to poll these movies. Uh, we did an episode two, three weeks ago. Eight mm-hmm. movies we wish we could do on the show that we never will. Um, we swore we would never do this movie on the show, which is why this is not going to be a single movie episode, but a trilogy episode. A trilogy episode. Um, of the eight films that we did, and those eight films, just for the record, were Sunshine, The Other Guys, The Shawshank Redemption, um, Jerry Truman Maguire. Show, mm-hmm. Jerry Maguire, Boogie Nights, Weatherman, Weatherman, and Lord of the Rings, and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, in a in a head to head matchup over three weeks of rounds, thousands of votes. Yeah, <laughs> thousands of votes. Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, yep. one is the winner. So we will be covering next week the Lord of the Rings trilogy as a special edition episode. We're gonna come. We're gonna have to mastermind like a whole different format because it's three yes. movies, it's and we need your help too. It's almost nine hours of movie, so we have to come up with the best way to do it so we don't just like do a three hour episode. Yeah. Um, we need to. It probably will be totally different than a normal episode. Yeah, and this well, does not mean that we're going to start doing superhero movies or do The Hobbit. This doesn't mean anything other than that we did one episode that sparked a vote, and this is the winner of the vote, and that's why we're doing it. So that's the thing. And guys, again, like with, with what you're saying, we're, it is going to be a specialty episode. Other than hashtag AMA question and AMA angry or what are the other things we do. <laughs> I am angry. I am is that what you're not, saying? I'm not angry anymore. <laughs> uh, give us other things. It, it, at AMA Podcast, any ideas, anything that you want to talk about that should be covered in Lord of the Rings. We're never going to talk about it again. It's one of the greatest trilogies of all time. There's got to be games and fun things and things that you guys want on the show. So we will come up with our own whole system for that. It'll be awesome. Um, guys, thanks for tuning in watching the episode today. Uh, submit your hashtag AMA question. Follow along with us at AMA Podcast on Twitter. You can find me personally at, at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Andrew Guy. See you guys next week. Adios. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.